Hey, how's it going? This is Evan Jackson, video production director of New Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us for our podcast today. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired today. Enjoy the message. And today we are starting a new series called How to Pray. This is a foundation series, uh, one of the ones we've been working on all year long. And I believe this one is so vital towards you and myself having a life that God intends us to have. Communication with the designer of this life is key for us to have a successful operation in this life. So let's start out this series on prayer with prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity we have to learn from you today, to directly learn from the mouth of Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts to understand what prayer is in the next three weeks, how we do it, and also how it enriches our existence here in this mortal coil. God, I thank you. For my brothers and sisters today, may we approach our Father, all of our Father, in the way you have taught us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. I want to read from this book. Um, This is one of the books I've used in preparing this series. It's called Pray First. Uh, I think the cover is awesome. Worry? No. Cry, uh, cry? No. Argue? No. Fight? No. Pray first. Okay, so if that's, if somebody's taking a photo of that book, so I'm going to move over here. Go ahead, take that photo. Uh, <laughs> I encourage you, if this is something that you um, are finding difficult in your life, what is prayer like? How do you do it? Um, I encourage you to pick up this book. It's a phenomenal book by Chris Hodges, and I want to read the introduction to this book to you. I think it I think it kind of sets up the next three weeks beautifully. And it says this. Prayer is often the most misunderstood part of following Jesus. Many people view prayer as if it's an innate talent. You may not even realize you hold this uh, perception, but your thoughts and actions reveal otherwise. You've learned to pray because you grew up in the church or because that's what your family did, but it still seems awkward, and unfamiliar. Prayer seems like athletic speed or musical talent or a quick sense of humor. Some are born with it and others are not. So you admire people who pray with confidence, ease, and do what you can, uh, you can, and do what you can to get by because you're always heard prayer is such an important part of being a Christian. But you, but you feel like You're not much good at it. Consign praying to church services and mealtimes. Or maybe you regard prayer as more of an acquired skill. Being a prayer warrior is simply a matter of putting in the time and effort, you think? So you practice daily and consistently try new techniques to improve your prayer life. You view it as a spiritual discipline, which it is, of course, but... It has never become something 
you uh, particularly enjoy or do spontaneously. Or others consider prayer as a supernatural SOS, a cry for help when they don't know what to do or find themselves desperately in need of help. When you lose your job or your car breaks down, when the medical tests come back positive or your child's addiction reveals itself, that's when you pray because circumstances are suddenly overwhelming. Based on what I've experienced, this is Chris Hodges speaking, and witness in nearly 40 years in ministry, I believe people know they should pray and want to pray, but don't really understand what to do. We have plenty of books on prayer, perhaps more than any other topic in the faith-based category. Inspiration is not the problem. Most of us are sufficiently inspired and want to make prayer central to our relationship with God. Many people don't even have a working definition of prayer. So this is Chris Hodges' definition of prayer. Prayer is simply talking and listening to God. Prayer is simply talking and listening to God. That's it. Yet even if we have the working definition of prayer, we still don't know what to say when we pray. We don't know how to prioritize prayer in our lives. I often overhear people, especially in hospitals, hospital waiting rooms, say, well, I guess there's nothing left to do but pray. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever, some people, have you ever heard that? Well, I've done everything else. Guess it's time to pray. Similarly, I've met with families in crisis and hear the same refrain. While sometimes prayer is the only thing we can do, it is always the best thing we can do. Too often prayer becomes our last resort. But God wants prayer to be our first response. I like that very much, and I encourage you to pick that book up. At the end of the series, I will be giving my copy to somebody. So maybe you want to wait on that win the lottery of that book. This week's sermon title is called The Template. The Template. The big idea is this. Jesus teaches a template for prayer to his disciples that places prayer in the context of relationship with our Heavenly Father. So as we begin our journey into prayer, we want to begin with how Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. The model for prayer has become known as the Lord's Prayer. So I want to read it to you, okay? And uh, I'm going to read it out of the New King James Version, partly because it takes some of the difficulties in the understanding, but partly because it's more close to what I remember (laughs) as a kid. So uh, Luke chapter 11, and the Lord's Prayer is in different Gospels, but I'm going to look at it. Start out of Luke. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 13 says this. He was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, I think that's very interesting because we see a pattern in Jesus' life. Jesus took time to pray. And that might be a little bit of a weird concept because he's God. So is he 
praying to himself? Or what's going on here? Well, we understand that Jesus is coexistent and always has been with the Father. So when Jesus goes and prays, he prays to the Father. That's Trinitarian concept that if you try to put your brain around, it'll probably, you know, people better thinking than I have tackled the Trinity. But this is the concept. And he is setting an example for how we ought to pray. But Jesus went into prayer often. And often Jesus prayed for long periods of time. Long periods of time. So uh, many people who come out of a more traditional, maybe Catholic uh, discipline of Christianity, they will say this prayer, and then they might repeat it multiple times or things like that. I don't think that's what Jesus was doing. I don't think he was going out into the wilderness and repeating this prayer over and over again. But I do think he was using this prayer in context as a template for how to pray. And I'm telling you, you use this prayer in that way, you could spend a long, you could actually spend quite a bit of time in prayer and not even realize it. So here's the prayer. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, day, uh, give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a prayer that is a template for how we ought to pray. It isn't just a prayer to be recited, though it is beautiful, absolutely beautiful, especially in the, the uh, traditional King James. It's got that mmm to it. Uh, and it makes sense because if you break it down, I mean, it's a beautiful Beautiful prayer. But it's a prayer actually containing seven different prayers. This particular prayer is, an, is a template that contains seven different prayers. Seven prayers in one. Jesus, Jesus often spent hours, even full nights in prayer, and I believe that this type of a prayer was what he was using as a template for his prayers. Seven prayers. It could be called a perfect or complete prayer because in Scripture, seven is a number of completion. All right? So let's break down these seven prayers today, shall we? And that's going to be the thrust of our whole talk today is just looking at these different prayers and seeing how we can use the Lord's Prayer as a template to help us to connect with God in our prayer life. Prayer number one, Father in heaven, your name be honored and holy. See, this is a very interesting start. Jesus didn't direct his disciples to begin his prayer with our God or dear Jehovah or to Yahweh. Rather, Jesus taught his disciples to pray to their Father. Now, look at the traditional Jewish way to begin a prayer is this. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. That's a, that's a traditional way for Jewish people to open their prayers. Now, there's other ones, but that's, that's, that's a big one. So here's the deal. Can you see the shift in here between that introduction to prayer and the one Jesus taught? It's very much a, a, a different, not that, not that one is wrong and one is not wrong, but here's the thing. 
This is how Jesus encourages his disciples, his uh, followers, to relate to God. Relate to him as a beloved father. In doing so, Jesus... uh, Oh, sorry. No, I skipped the spot. Of all the words and titles for God that Jesus could have used to initiate a model of prayer for the disciples, he chose the word Abba. We'll get into that in a second. In doing so, Jesus corrected our perception of God. The Greek word here is patir, but in Aramaic, the language Jesus spoke, the word was Abba, which was a term of great intimacy and affectionate respect. Okay, some people say, like, it's like daddy. Uh, it's not really like daddy. It's, it's more like, like a, a, a very direct translation would be dada. Because it was typically the first word a Jewish child would, would say. Abba. It's like dada. But it's also, it, it goes a higher level because it was also used as adults to refer to their dad as well. So it wasn't just that first response. It was also affectionate respect like father. See the difference? It's both. But this is how Jesus is telling his disciples to relate to God, who is the king of the universe. Which goes back to what we talked about just a little while ago, last few weeks. So he corrects their perception of God. Jesus is teaching us that we come before God as his dearly beloved children, and he is our father. Jesus Jesus is teaching us that prayer is built on a relationship of intimacy. Okay, a relationship of intimacy. Now, here's the the rub. I think so many people um, project their world into Scripture, when in fact we should project Scripture into our world. We'll talk a little about that later. So um, many people who have had struggles with their fathers in the past, who have not had a good relationship with their dads, their dadas, <laughs> look at the Scripture and say, I, I-, I can't do that. No, and I, and I feel you. I-, I do understand. I hear you. But here's the other side of it. We don't look at worldly things to reflect on God. We use God to reflect on worldly things. So this is the uh, intimate relationship with a God, a father who is a perfect father who loves you and cares for you. Everything that you think a father should be, and maybe your father wasn't, he is. Okay, he loves you. He cares for you. So don't let the, the, the experiences of this life you know, tear down the image of God. Let God direct you as to how we ought to be in this world. Okay, secondly in this prayer, this first prayer, by telling us to pray, hallowed be your name, Jesus is uh, cleansing our expectations in prayer. Our Father, who art in hallowed be your name. God is not a genie in the lamp that grants our wishes. He's holy. This is the God where he's our Father, but he's also Holy, hallowed be your name. Prayer is way less about you than it is about him. Just like your life is way less about you than it is about him. We are created to be his children, and we are created to worship him. So be careful 
that you don't go to prayer with a laundry list of things that if God doesn't do, you're going to, uh, you're not real. He's holy, which means he's set apart, which means he's singular. He is God. Okay, so don't forget that. Don't let that, that Abba taint your view of the greatness and the holiness of God. Think about that for two seconds. Those things together. The holiness, the greatness, the king of the universe has asked you to refer to him as, as father. Now, his, his asking you to refer to him as father does not take away who he is. He's still God. Our chief concern in prayer is that God would be honored and glorified. See, worship helps us to see God for who he is, not what we want him to be. When we, when we worship God, that's why when, when Scott and I talk about worship songs, we talk about, listen, we want our worship songs to be upward focused, not just all about what God can give us in this life. Now, some of the revelations of God are about how God treats us, so we can celebrate those and worship with those. But the main point of worship is not just to receive. The main point of worship is to plug in to the purpose for which we were created, and that is to worship God who's worthy of praise, glory, and honor no matter what our circumstances are. Worship helps us to see God for who he is, not what we want him to be. Okay, prayer number two. You ready? Here we go. Your kingdom come. Three precious words that express that inner yearning for God's reign to be established now, right here on earth. Look around you. Not, not like right here, but in the world. The world's a mess. It has been since that little bite. It's a mess. In many ways, it doesn't reflect the kingdom of God, does it? We live in what we call a broken, we live in a fallen world. But if you look a little closer, you will see a remnant of his kingdom. We can see it in the kindness of a friend, the love of a neighbor, the compassion for the poor. Feel in the natural realm, in the wind, in the rain, in the sun. We have an opportunity to see the kingdom all around us and share the kingdom with those who can't see it. We have an opportunity to live in the kingdom, in the here and now, in spite of the brokenness of this world. And we have the opportunity to open people's eyes to the kingdom of God in this world right here and right now. We don't have to let the world dictate our reality. We can live in light of the kingdom of God, which brings us to our uh, prayer number three. Prayer number three is this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This statement teaches us to pray as a partnership in which we join with God to accomplish his purpose on this earth. Not everything that takes place on earth is, the, is, is in the will or desire of God. Therefore, Jesus invites us to join God through prayer, 
and through our actions to see his kingdom extended throughout the earth. What was the responsibility of man at the very beginning? He said, work it, cultivate it, subdue it. Our responsibility, our job on this earth has always and forever will be until Christ comes back. And I believe even after, our responsibility is to subdue and work and be partner with God in the creation that he has made. You can't create anything. You can't create anything. But here's the thing. Because we have the image of God placed on us, our desire is to make things, to build, to, to, to cultivate, to, um, to subdue. So you will craft. You will craft. You will be inspired. You will um, make, build things, do things. And here's the thing. We can't create anything, but we can craft some amazing things out of what God already created. Because we have that inspiration, that spark of, of creativity. And what you create in this world, create it so that the will of God is done through you. That's what we're supposed to do always. So here's a, here's a thought. Wherever you go, create a little slice of heaven. Create a little slice of heaven. When people see you, when people come into contact with you, bring heaven to earth. Bring it. Show that God is moving and uh, cultivating a world through you that is different than the fallen nature of the world that they are soaked in. And they will say, what is going on with that person? What is the difference? And you could say, God's kingdom is working in and through me. And I just want to share what God has done for me. God has changed me. And that gives opportunities for witness. So when we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, may that be our legacy in the world. Now, I'm not one of those theological thinkers that, that believes that the church is the one who's going to, you know, Work real hard to bring, to bring the kingdom of God to earth. No, I don't believe that. I think God's going to do that on his own. I think out of the word of his mouth. But I think that we've always been created to cultivate the kingdom of God wherever he wants us to, wherever, wherever we, he sends us. Make sense? So your will be done in me. Because how, come on. We can pr- and here's the thing. We can pray for things to be done in the world that God would honor God, right? We can pray for those things. I do it all the time. God, Lord, you know, bring revival to this country. God, you know, uh, big, big prayers, right? But what the problem is, is that that's where we leave them. We stand up, and that's it. Well, we prayed for revival. Yay. That's a good thing. But if revival hasn't happened here in the little geography that I possess, and I don't bring revival to the world that I'm in, then I am just passing the buck to somebody else to do the work. Because somebody, God is going to use somebody. If revival is going to come to this country, God's going to use people to do it. So unless we embody the prayers that we send out, we're just passing the buck. I don't think that's an honoring prayer. All right, so 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Next, uh, prayer number four. And unfortunately, give us this day our daily bread is probably where we as Christians spend 90% of our time. Do you realize, you see where we are here? We're at prayer four. Now, if you look at this, uh, this poem, this, this beautiful prayer, the needs that we have are st- stuck right in the, in the middle of it. Right in the middle. There's three verses before, three verses after, and right in the middle is our, our needs. Okay? Which means we should spend the whole front time praying for the kingdom of God, his will be done, his, his um, image to be released on this world, his, all these things, his holiness. And then we, we deal with our, our needs too because he cares about those things. And then we're going to see how he changes us. But in his, it's, it's amazing. We spend 90% of our time rubbing the genie, hoping that he'll take care of their needs, and mostly, mostly our wants. Can we get real here? But what this, what this prayer tells us is that God does care about our needs. So give us this day our daily bread. Jesus teaches us that through prayer we can ask God to meet our daily needs. Martin Luther stated that bread was a symbol for everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food and health, a healthy body, good wealth, uh, good weather. <clears throat> That's cool. House, home, wife, children, and good government and peace. He said everything that we need to sustain a, a life that is, uh, is honoring to God, is in God's kingdom, is encompassed in this word bread. It's everything you need to live. That's what Martin Luther said. God wants to provide what is necessary for us to live. All we have to do is ask. All we have to do is ask. And this is a very simple prayer. Lord, give us this, this day our daily bread. Fill in the blank. What do you need for life? Lord, give us health. Lord, give us today protection for my children who are going off to school. God, give us this day an opportunity to serve you in the workplace. God, give me this day uh, a sharp mind so that I can ace this test that I've studied for. But if you, wait, hold, kids, hold on a second. If you didn't study, he can't get out what, he didn't, what you didn't already put in. Let's put it that way. But he can bring it to your mind. He can sharpen your mind. Here's what I'm saying. It's not complicated you don't have to, like, you know, do some weird gyrations in order to get God to move on your behalf. That's not what Jesus said. He said, pray, give us this day our daily bread. Please, 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 please. You don't have to beg to God because he's a good father. Oh, God, please, 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 please give me my daily bread. Please, please. Oh, if I, maybe if I lay on my, get down on my face and do it. Or, you know, prostrate, and I, and I beg really hard, maybe I'll get it. That's not, listen, if God doesn't think it's good for you, you're not going to get it whether you're on your face or upside down or, but he's a good father, so you ask and you receive. And you don't question it. You put it out there, and God, who's a good father, will take care of you because he loves you. He loves you. Prayer number five. 
and forgive us our sins. We live in the pains and decay of a not yet redeemed world. This statement teaches us not to allow guilt from the things we have done or thought to shame us from God, but to, re- to receive his loving forgiveness. One of the biggest things that keep people from praying at all in the first place is their feeling of guilt. I'm going to tell you, the disciples who asked this were not squeaky clean. Remember, there's only one Messiah, and that's the one that they were asking about, how to pray. These guys are like, hey, Jesus, tell us how to pray. If they were to say, well, we got it, Jesus didn't say, okay, listen to these guys. I need you, I need you to be perfect, and then I'll teach you how to pray. I need you to not have anything, in, any baggage in your, in, in your trunk. I, I need you to you know, get all the skeletons out of the closet, and then we'll go to the temple, we'll do a little uh, you know, blood ritual here, and then, then I'll teach you how to pray, because it's not possible before that. He didn't say that. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Do not let your shame Let the shame and guilt of your past keep you from coming to the God who's the only person who can save you from your pain and your guilt. That is the greatest weapon of the enemy. To to make you believe that you're not good enough for God. When God said, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Can I get an amen on that? Come on. Come on. What am I, I mean, this is about sins forgiven, folks. So don't let that be a barrier to your coming to the Father because that's the whole reason he came. So the enemy wants to, wants to guilt you into not interacting with the only person in the world that not only can take away your sins, but can give you the power to live a godly life. So where does that leave you? In your sin. Right where the enemy wants you. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. And confessing, confession is so healthy. You know, well, pastor, I don't need to confess my sins because God, at the cross, God saved me from all my past sins, my present sins, and my future sins. Thank you for the theology lesson. I appreciate that. But here's the thing. Confession of those sins is so healthy for you. It cleans out the closets. It's like opening the doors of a van that a bunch of soccer players just drove home in. I'm telling you, it stinks. Breath of fresh air, man. Breath of fresh air. It's good for you. It lightens the load. That's why, you know, our, 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 our Catholic brothers and sisters, you know, they, they, they put a lot of emphasis on, on confession. And when we had the um, Reformation, we kind of kicked that underneath the carpet. We don't need that anymore. Here's the thing. Maybe the form was not correct, but confession is biblical. But I'm telling you today, you don't want to come to me to confess. If you want to, I'll sit in a little booth with a, you know, with a bug screen. I, I, whatever that is. I'll, no, I won't do that. That's weird. But 
Here's the thing. If you, wanna, if you need to confess to your, your brother or sister, you could do that. But you don't need me to confess sin. You go right to your father. You go right to your father. I, I try to do this. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm doing it out of order, but I've always tried to do this before I pray. And, I, and I, I go back to Psalms 139, 23. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my, uh, know my concerns. See if there be any offensive way. Another, another um, translation says wicked way in me. I like that one better because I know I'm wicked sometimes. Lead me into the everlasting ways. I think that's so healthy. God, show me where I'm off. Show me where I'm sinful. Show me where I'm wicked. Open my eyes to my own deficiencies. Not so that I can feel bad about it, not so that I can wallow it, so that I can hand it off to you and you can forgive me. I can feel that forgiveness and we can move on. So you can, you, you, you ask God to reveal those things to you. Next, agree with God about what he's revealed. Third, ask God to forgive you for that particular sin. Fourth, accept the fact that God completely forgives and cleanses you of the guilt and shame of that sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, hard stop, period. If you ask God to forgive you, you need to receive that forgiveness and not like, you know, you gave it to God and you're kind of like mm, trying to bring it, take it back. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let God have it. Let God have it. All right, we're moving along. Prayer number six. Ah, this is a tough one. As we also forgive everyone, 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 everyone who is indebted to us. We've already preached a whole sermon in the last series on forgiveness, so we won't, we won't retread that topic, but I want to say a couple things here. In addition to confessing our sins, we are also to release others from the ways they have wronged us and from anything we might hold against them. Paul tells us in Colossians 3.13, if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. There's a really important key word in there, and it's this one right here. Must. He does not give you an option to not forgive. He says, you have to forgive. Why? Because you have, you have nothing to say in the thing. I've forgiven you everything. You must do it. Now, if you want to know how to differentiate between uh, forgiveness and um, acceptance or enabling people's bad behavior, go back to uh, a couple sermons in the, on the website and you'll learn all about that. Because forgiveness doesn't always mean like getting back in community with that person. Okay? Does it make sense? 
But there's a whole sermon on that, so I don't want to retread it. So go back and listen to that. It's, 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 uh, it's helpful, I think. Okay. In forgiving others, we must first admit that someone has offended us. Second, we release them of their debt. Jesus did this on the cross when he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. Luke 23. Third, ask God for the grace to seek reconciliation with the person. Okay? Reconciliation is so vitally important to moving on. Reconciliation doesn't mean saturation. If there's a toxic person, reconcile with them as best you can. As as much as it is to you, be at peace with all people. But you can't control people. So if they're still toxic, you need to get out of that situation. Go back to that sermon. It's a good one. If I do say so myself. (laughs) Prayer number seven, and we're, we're finishing here. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus teaches us to seek God to help us through life by protecting us from and preserving us through times that the enemy intends to bring us down. The Lord knows our weaknesses, and he knows our vulnerabilities. So does the enemy. Jesus came to this earth, and the Bible says he was tempted in every way, just like we were, yet without sin. That's that's an amazing thing. When we look at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, what did the devil do? What was his game plan? He did the same thing to Jesus that he does to us. He saw areas of potential weakness in the person of Jesus, and he tried to exploit that weakness. First one was Jesus was, he was fasting for 40 days, so guess what? His appetite was that he was hungry. So Jesus, uh, so Satan tempted him to create bread out of rocks. Now why would he, we talked about this the other day, why would that be a bad thing? It was, it was Jesus using his supernatural power for himself. You see, Jesus used his supernatural power in the lives of others, but he never used it to preserve himself. He never used it in a way that would elevate himself. He used it for the advancement of the kingdom. That was the whole message, the kingdom, the kingdom. And I think that's very interesting when it comes to our own prayer life. When we pray, what are we trying to advance? Us or him? Because God said we have the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. That's an amazing claim. So maybe we need to change the way we direct that power the same way Jesus did. Jesus, uh, Jesus was taken to the temple and said, hey, throw yourself down. Throw yourself down and let the angels take care of you. Basically, what he was tempting him to do is to prove his messiahship without having to die, without having to go through the pain. So Jesus could have done that. Everything that Satan tempted him with, Jesus could have done. But he didn't because he was about advancing the kingdom of God. Thirdly, took him on a high mountain and said, I'll give you all of this 
which assumes that it's his to give in the first place. It was already Jesus's, but he wouldn't have had to, he could have gotten the kingdoms of this world without having to pay the price of the cross. So even Jesus was tempted in ways in which his appetites may have pulled him. Why do you think you're better than that? Satan knows your appetites. He knows your weaknesses, but so does your Lord and Savior. Any good parent in this room knows where their kids are weak. Morally, mentally, physically, you know it. And if, if you're a good parent, you do your very best to, to, to enroad that. I, ha- I personally had a, a very severe learning disability growing up. And, man, the lengths that my parents went through to make up for that learning disability. They didn't have to do that. They did it because they're good parents. Love you, Mom. You see what I'm saying? They're not, they weren't blind to my, my deficiencies. They tried to enroad those things and, and support me in those things. That's your heavenly father. I don't know how it's possible, but he's a better father than I had and mother than I had. <laughs> I had a great parents. But here's the thing. He's even better. The other day, I was laying in the, I was laying in the bed with, with my youngest, Aria. And she's, she does this thing where she lays, sits up on my chest and she just plays with my beard. And, and she's like, Dad, you know who the best dad is in the world? She's like, well, it's not you. She said, it's God and then you. See what I'm saying? He's the best. He knows you. He loves you. He cares for you. And he wants to help you. The Lord knows your weaknesses. He knows your vulnerabilities. He can follow the right path. Knowing, we can follow the right path knowing that the Lord is looking out for us. Listen for the inner voice that says, not that. Not that, but this. That's the Holy Spirit, man. That's God talking to you. Listen. Evils are all around us, and in some, the most tempting forms. How else would they lure us in? Wealth, status, success, pleasure. They sound great, but at what cost? Paul has this concern for the believers in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 11, he says this, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Verse 14, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He's not the dude with the pitchfork and the weird tail. I used to have an illustrated Bible as a kid. And the temptations of Jesus uh, at that point had this, pic, this image of Satan. And it was like full-on like, Halloween costume. It was done by, like, a very legitimate artist, but it was like, you know, the fork, the little wings and the forked tail, you know, and all this stuff. That's not who he is. He's an angel of light. He comes to you with, with ways that you think, man, that sounds good. What's the cost of that? Hmm. Is it worth it? It's always a value cost analysis. What's the cost? Count the cost. God's own goodness is 
free. No interest charged. We give him our filthy rags, and he gives us royal robes. There's no better bargain than that. Let's land this, okay? You can come to your father and confidently partner with him in prayer for his glory and kingdom to come to this earth, as well as for provision for your needs, protection, and cleansing. It's both. It's both. The best way to learn to pray is not by reading a book or praying or hearing a teaching about prayer. The best way to learn to pray is to pray. Pray. But I understand the, the, the question. The disciples ask the same thing. Lord, teach us to pray. But I want you to see today, it's not complicated. It's pretty straightforward. He gives us seven prayers to pray. I'm telling you, if you spend time in those prayers, you'll be surprised at how long you've been praying. I would encourage you to, 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 to pray this seven prayers and don't worry about how long you're praying. Just pray. Oh, I'm going to pray five, five minutes a day. That's good. I'm not knocking it. But here's a better idea. Why don't you pray the template of the Lord's Prayer and pray through these prayers? You'll be, you'll, you'll be amazed. You'll be like 10, 15, 20 longer. You could pray all night on these prayers. I think Jesus did. I think he did. Best way to learn to pray is to pray. D.A. Carson wrote this. Good praying is more easily caught than taught. Just start. So for the next week, this week, set aside some time. In my notes it says uh, five to ten minutes. That's funny. I just said don't do that. Um, set aside some time <laughs> each day and use this model that Jesus gave us to pray. And this is the, this is the model. Ready? And you don't simply need to repeat the Lord's Prayer, although I think it would be a great idea to start with it. Just pray it and then break it down. Use the outline to pray for yourself and others. Here's the outline. Number one, acknowledge God as your Father and worship Him. Two, pray His rule to reign in your heart and life. Three, pray for how you can partner with Him to accomplish His will. Four, pray for your needs. Five, confess sin and ask for forgiveness. Six, ask for help forgiving others. And seven, pray for safety, protection, and deliverance in your work for, as you work for him. Now, here's the thing. If you're taking photos of it, don't worry about it. Lisa's got a whole, a little sheet for everybody. I made a sheet. It's got the Lord's Prayer on it, and then it's got the seven different prayer emphasis. I encourage you to take one of those today. Stick it in your Bible. It looks like this. Okay? It's even branded with a series. Okay? So take one of these, um, put it in your Bible, and, and try. Try your best to spend some time each, each day this week praying the template of the Lord's Prayer and see where God, see how. And here's the thing, and we'll get into it a little bit more in, in future weeks. It's not all about the words you use. The time of prayer should not only be speaking, but it also should be listening. Listening to the word of God, listening to God's voice. He's like, God, well, God doesn't speak. He does. He really does. 
he will speak to you. And you'll have to start saying things like, was that me or was that God? And that's, the, that's where the tricky part comes in. Was that me or was that, the, you know, was that God or was that the burrito I had last night? What, what is, what's going on, right? Well, we're going to teach you in this series next week how to discern the voice of God in your prayer time. So stay tuned. Same bat time, same bat station. We love you guys. God loves you. Lord, thank you for this day. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I love the benediction that is often put at the end of the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. To find out more about New Life Church or to plan a visit, go to our website at discovernewlife.org.